Welcome to the BizOwner 360 podcast, where we explore a variety of topics to help you grow your bootstrapped business. I'm your host, Brett Trainer. Each week, I have a conversation with leading experts in the areas of growth, execution, leadership, wellness, productivity, and others. This is not the typical podcast. We have conversations that dig deep into each of the topics that we cover. The goal is to provide cutting edge but proven tactics and strategies to help you grow your business. The BizOwner 360 podcast is now recognized as a top 5% international podcast and still growing. My guest today is Joe Maganelli, CEO and founder of Calculate, a company that offers a multitude of financial services for small but growing companies. Joe and I discuss the biggest mistakes that entrepreneurs and business owners make, plus he also shares some recommended best practices. If finances and structure are an afterthought for your current business, you should pay attention to this episode. As we also talk about how to leverage a virtual or fractional CFO or an analyst to help your business. Plus, as a bonus, Joe shares his story as how he built a seven-figure business and is still growing rapidly. Sit back and enjoy. And now, on to the interview. Hey, good morning, Joe. Welcome to the podcast. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Oh, no, it's my pleasure. And like I said, uh, we were talking a little bit offline. I love these dual episodes where we talk about, you know, one of those zero to 10 businesses that's growing quick, which is calculating your business and also the services that you provided, which I think are really interesting and probably underappreciated within the uh, entrepreneur and owners, uh, owner community. Yeah, for sure. I think it's it's uh, super exciting to be on the podcast. And also, I think we've got a, a bit of a different perspective than most. We're, we're right in that wheelhouse uh, in terms of the, the business owners that you're focused on talking with. But the core of our client base is also there, too. So uh, whether it be best practices or it be kind of those behaviors that we're seeing for the ones that are successful and, and the ones that, that are maybe a little less successful, I think is uh, you know some interesting anecdotes are there. Awesome. And I can't wait to, to get into it. But to get started, why don't you share with the audience a little bit about your background and, and what you're working on today, and then we'll we'll dive in. Yeah, so uh, I'm Joe. I'm I'm the founder of a company called Calculate. Uh, we describe ourselves as handling the number side of the business for startups and, and growing companies. Getting there, my background's a little more atypical. I actually have an engineering degree uh, and uh, went decided to go a little bit more of the business route. But I think it's it's been useful in, in my trajectory to kind of have a little bit more of that scientific, a little bit more of that analytical look at things. So after after school, I ended up at Goldman Sachs and was placed into more of an internal financial function where I uh, helped management really make decisions with numbers, build budgets, do projections, those type of things. So really a core FP&A or financial planning and analysis role. I spent some time there and then moved on to another firm called Perella Weinberg Partners where I did very similar things, but in a smaller setting. So ran the firm's budget annually, worked very closely with the management team around, around the numbers of the firm. What I found over that time is I really liked the work, but was always sort of craving something a little bit more, really liked the idea or the ability to kind of build something of my own had business ideas that never really got off the ground. I won't share them uh, to spare myself the embarrassment now, but ultimately realized like, hey, I've got a pretty good skill set here in, in the number side of things and would talk to some friends or, or acquaintances about how you know they were struggling or they wanted to bring me on as their CFO, um, but they maybe didn't have the cash flow or workflow to warrant a full-time hire. So I stepped back and I said, why don't I do it for them one day a week and find four other people and I kind of have myself a business. And that was the kernel of, of Calculate and launched it about five years ago with that sort of 
in mind of being able to come in and act as the, the finance team, the accounting team for kind of growing companies that didn't have the scale to warrant a full-time team. That's awesome. And I love the story. Now, were you working with smaller businesses in the corporate side when you were doing this or were you across the board? No, they were really, you know, very large businesses. Most of my roles were internal. I actually, you know, really the first client work I ever did was uh, was at Calculate. So the sort of booked my first client kind of just as I was leaving leaving my corporate role. Uh, and yeah, so I, I, I sort of have a very atypical role here. I run a services business, but never worked for a client before uh, before starting it. You know what? I'm finding it that if you what you don't know is probably a benefit these days. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't scarred. I wasn't scarred by client service to, to, to start this. It's scarred. And what I'm also finding is, right, that you're not following the traditional path. You're not doing things the way, you know, that used to work, what I would say used to work, because I spent a lot of time in the enterprise or corporate side bouncing between startups, but yeah. then realized, you know, in the digital age, right, we're in now that there's a lot of things you can do differently to grow your business quicker. And if you follow the traditional path, I have to hire six salespeople. I have to do all these things. You know, I think what you're offering is a, is a key piece to these these small and growing businesses as well that we never talk about. But before we get into yeah. kind yeah. of the, the services and how that evolves, so how did you take it from you doing this as a kind of a fractional CFO, if you will, or an analyst to now you've got a, a growing business? I know that's a pretty big leap, but what was yeah. kind of, how did that start to gain momentum? And when did you think, man, I could actually start a company off of this? Yeah. So really like I had the ideas together and I, you know, I was working in, in an investment bank, even if I wasn't a full banker. So there wasn't really time kind of even moonlight. I was doing, you know, 70 hours a week or something like that and also wanted to see my wife occasionally. So, you know, there wasn't a ton of time to uh, to, to do those sorts of things. So I sort of just jumped off the off the diving board into the deep end, um, started talking with some folks and ultimately just sort of like built it up over time. Um, so my goal was kind of giving myself six months to see if I can even start paying myself. Fortunately for me, I had kind of gained enough business where I, I was able to hire actually a full-time person by that. And so I think the, the thing that I didn't appreciate beforehand, which has been a really key part of the business is sort of the recurring nature of our work. You know, I came in there, was doing a pretty good job and, and the clients were pretty sticky. And so I've signed a client and they're pretty attached to us. And then I sign another one and it's pretty cumulative. And, you know, that's one thing I, I sort of didn't appreciate as much and, and has been a core function of the business to date. And I think a, a real part of our success is, you know, do a great job for the client. They keep wanting us to do more and more work and then, you know, find someone else and, and, and it really adds up. Yeah, no, hundred percent agree. The more reoccurring revenue you can get, the the more predictable it comes, easier it is to, to manage. And, you know, in those early days, was it a lot of word of mouth that you were getting customers? How did, how were you getting your first customers? Yeah. I would say today is really word of mouth even more than the original. The, the original was like me going to some sort of terrible event at some bar where I talked to like 40 people. And then my wife and I, after the event, I'd come home and we'd judge the worst business cards out of it. It was like a fun <laughs> little game that we would do. Yeah. You know, and it was like, you know, the first couple clients were not great or, you know, really good learning experiences there. And then kind of stumbled upon one. And, and I remember uh, an early client, uh, a gentleman by the name of Will, like he, he was one of these like really talented founders. And so, you know, kind of got attached to him and a couple others and they grew very quickly and we kind of were able to grow alongside them. That's awesome. And then, so thinking about from a services aspect, did you, was it, Hey, I'll just come in and help you do whatever you need. And how did, how did that offering kind of evolve over time once you get your, your feet under you? Yeah. So I had this more FP and a background. Um, so financial planning analysis, helping kind of managers make decisions. And, you know, as talking with folks early on, they sort of had this, well, why would I have you 
and have my CPA. You know, for taxes, you have this compliance, you're required by law. Everyone needs to have a CPA for their business, right? And so I realized early on there was an opportunity for us to do kind of the financial strategy work, but also do the accounting and compliance work. And so within six month period, that first hire was a, her name's Jillian. She's a partner in the business today. She came on, was able to drive that accounting work and CPA work. So then, you know, kind of came at it, which I sort of described very in the beginning as Calculate owns the number side of the business for these companies. So whether it's the day-to-day accounting, paying your bills and payroll, it's the controllership and financial statements, it's taxes and compliance, or you know more financial strategy and uh, raising funds or even selling businesses, we're sort of able to handle that from end to end in, in one one core source. Gotcha. Was it easy to convince your potential clients that they had a problem, or did they all kind of know they had a problem or an opportunity that uh, that you could solve? Right? Because I mean that might be a good transition into the services you offer, and if you're a business owner thinking about your business, you know, what should we be thinking about now? Yeah, I mean, I, I told you I never worked for a client. I never sold anything beforehand either uh, before starting Calculate. So I kind of, you know, I'd go into the meeting and I was like, what is my goal here? Uh, convince them I, I'm smart and capable and convince them uh, that I'm likable. And, and that was like half the battle. So that was sort of like the first first couple clients. And uh, I mean, even today, that's a big part of it. Like we want to work with people that we, we like like being around. We, we're, we're, we're pretty uh, strict in sort of who we bring on in, in the team and really focus on culture here, but then also who our clients are. So yeah, so so sort of like, you know, brought on the first couple clients and in terms of what they what they needed or what they felt the pain, a lot of them feel this void uh, or, two, or two voids. One is uh, just the compliance side of the business. They need a better handle on the taxes and accounting. Uh, and then the other side is they usually have some sort of void that they're feeling where, hey, I know the business is running, but I can't really have sight into it or how, you know, you sort of have the managing a business by gut, which is a lot of the, you know, founders that you're probably talking with, but being able to get a little bit of more objective measurement around it. And, and that's sort of the basis of even the name Calculate. And I know it sounds kind of corny, but yeah. I called the company Calculate because I want our clients to be more calculated about the decisions that they're making. And so sort of that engineering scientific background kind of comes with that too, of like, let's take your subjective abilities as a, as a manager or a business owner, and let's pair them up with some objective measurement to really get a, a good idea of how to, how to build and grow and, and execute business. Yeah, no, it makes makes a lot of sense. And the name is is perfect, right? I mean, because sometimes we overthink it. And I think we talked offline that I just rebranded kind of my business and the podcast mm-hmm. to BizOwner360 because that's what we talk about is biz owners and business in 360, whether it's personal or financial or growth, whatever it is, that's what we want to be that resource for. Yeah. And some of the other names, which I liked, just it didn't, it was over overcomplicated yeah. or overthinking it. So I love yeah. the name. I think it makes makes a lot of sense. Yeah. One, it, uh, one, one, sorry, I just interrupted you. Yes. You might find this funny. It's like, okay, the companies calculate, you know, relatively clever and that kind of thing. And then we got some branding work done, which is the brand that you have today. And, and sort of the primary color is red. And I was like, you know, a little worried about the red. And I, I asked some folks around and I asked like 10 people about what they thought about it. And they really liked it. And, and one of those 10 people was an accountant. And he's the only one who had a problem with the oh. red. Uh, you know, the red being that your, in your the business red. is in the red. Yeah, you're having trouble. And so since the only person, you know, since my, my core client base here would be people who don't have accounting backgrounds, I thought keeping the red would be just fine. Yeah, it's a nice play. It's actually a really good looking website. I'm just looking at it as yeah. we go through oh, it. Thanks. And yeah, I like the the play on that in the red. It, it makes sense. And, you know, so if, I, if I'm thinking about it, right, because I think it's easy. You start the business. It's not that big. You can handle the finances yourself. You may have somebody help you file with taxes, et cetera. So, you know, kind of from your perspective, now that you've been doing this for, for five years, what, what are some of the best practices? So if I'm a, a smaller company, solo shop, but starting to get some traction, when do I start 
start to think about the financial side of this and, and what can I do early on? Because I'm a big believer in building the infrastructure. You don't have to overcomplicate mm-hmm. it early. But what are some of the early building blocks so I don't have to come back and reinvent and build things once I'm at a couple million in revenue? Yeah, yeah. And I would, I would actually, you know, maybe give you a bad answer here. I'd say, you know, if you're if you don't have sort of external investors or some sort of need for compliance, like if you need to get an audit annually or you need to go through a due diligence because you're being invested, okay, bring on someone like us. If you don't, I think keeping costs low, having a good uh, sort of CPA by your side who can help keep you in line, you know, that person you shouldn't be talking with once a year. You should be talking with them at least quarterly about how the business is doing and, and going through, you know, just understanding the numbers and, you know, making sure you have a handle on your cash flow. So, you know, once you kind of get to that couple million dollar mark and you sort of, let's say as the founder or owner are now having a lot more fragmentation of your time where you're not able to actually be involved in every little piece of the business is, is where that, you know, we think that threshold uh, comes up. And then again, it, it kind of comes with those two kind of themes. So you're at a few million dollars in, in revenue annually. You now have a set of lieutenants who report to you, right? And they're running different functions, just as one of those functions is sort of the number side of the business. So whether it be kind of the day-to-day accounting and, and bill payment and that sort of operational accounting work, super important to make sure that's tight. And that's where we're able to step in. And then the other side around like those financial insights, right? So you can't just sort of say cash in must exceed cash out every month, right? You need to have a little bit more planning as you think about it. You know, you're growing, let's say, um, who am I hiring? What are those roles? When are they coming in? How does that impact cash? And depending on your business, I mean, looking at our business, we're a, we're a growing services business, but our costs certainly run ahead of our, our revenues. Like I'm you know, someone starts Jan 1, they do work for the month of January, you know, I'm not billing that until Jan 31. And then maybe at best getting paid February 15th, or the end of February. So I've had four payroll cycles potentially before I've gotten paid for that work. Those are sort of things that that get more compounded as a business gets larger and, and more complex. And so stepping into that to provide those insights is a big step too. Uh, it makes it makes makes perfect sense. And it's one even I is I advocate using external resources to help grow because I think with the expertise that's out there, it's much more accessible than it used to be, especially for small businesses, right? There's a great book that I promote all the time called Who Not How. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. heard of that, but it's it's really about bringing subject matter experts like yourself or your company and they take care of it. And then you take care of the how, right? So I think yep. we spend so much time should be worrying a little bit about process and operating procedures. But, you know, I think on the financial side is, is definitely a, not a weakness. I like this side of it, but I also understand that, you know, I had uh, somebody from private equity on not too long ago talking about, man, if you're looking to sell your business, it's a scramble for most business owners because it's, it's, it's not set up that way. And so part one is the question, right? Even though you're not thinking about selling, kind of build it mm-hmm. as you, you would be. And then two, you know, where are people leaving money on the table, right? Because I know we've had through the pandemic, there is, is there loans in some other areas? So I know it's super broad and I'm hitting you with a couple, but I'm just, I'm just kind of curious because I'm sure from a less sophisticated eye, right, you're losing money or you're leaving money on the table. And where are some of those uh, areas that we sh- we should be paying attention to? Yeah, uh, those are those are two great questions. So I think the first one about like you know if you're not thinking about a sale, you should sort of build the infrastructure uh, for the sale. I think that's hugely important. We we work with companies where sort of you know deals either fell apart or became a lot more complex because companies just didn't have the right infrastructure in place and deals like to move quickly and sort of having to push up against that momentum because you haven't had effective accounting for four 
four years is is really a bummer, right? I'm, I'm going to go sell my business and my my buyer might walk because I need to spend the next two months getting clean accounting so they can actually feel comfortable with what they're looking about. So right. I think that's exactly right. So bringing in someone as you're getting to sort of, you know, into the seven figures and, and sort of, hey, you don't know what's going to happen. Something might walk in the door. Having the right foundation in place and 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 having the right financial story, even if you're not thinking about a sale. Is and then your second question, I think, is, is, is a little bit different of like where folks are leaving money on the table. I think I'm going to go back to the point about like bringing in some specialists or outsourced functions. I think a lot of times, even I, I fall folly of this too, where I've got a problem in the business, immediately I go to, oh, I need to hire someone, right? And so right now I feel like I've got a little bit of a void in the sales and marketing function. So I think I should go and hire someone. Well, it's not a terrible idea, but is it the best idea, right? Well, A, it's not really a full-time job. B, I, I don't know how to hire a sales and marketing person. I can, I can hire an accountant all day long. I'm really good at that. Hiring a sales and marketing person is something I'm not necessarily good at. So there's a really, I think a high tendency for owners as they're as they're building up their business and it's growing to think that a new hire is going to solve the problem and particularly a hire that's outside their core competency. And so it may not be like, oh, I spent too much money on this thing, but it's going to come with inefficiencies. It's going to come with you know distractions and things like that, where I think like those types of hires can can weigh weigh you down, even though they're well intentioned. While you know probably the better solution for calculate in this instance is to go and and maybe find some freelancers or find an, an agency who can help us with some of those needs. I can ultimately spend less money than I would on a full time hire, and I'm probably going to get a better value because uh, they 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 know the ins and outs of it. Yeah, no, I 100. And as you say that, I don't want to say this is a shameless plug, but with my <laughs> business that's that's 100% where I'm focusing on now is helping these businesses bring in these part-time resources right because you may know what you need but how does it work with the other two and if you spend two resources on do you really need a social media manager when you don't have your messaging and positioning yeah. alignment set and do you have somebody that's actually going to be able to process leads as they come through so I, as I tell people it's not rocket science to do this but it is not one-dimensional right it's there's multiple areas that you need to think about so yes the resources are definitely out there, but it's how do you plug them together? And if you've got a good business, you can overcome some of those mm -hmm. mistakes. Not, maybe not a hiring one, because that could be an 18 month mistake, but yeah. with, with now expertise, right, in certain areas, easier to find. It's, as I say, lower risk and a lower cost to to get that that growth engine going. So no, I'm, I'm with you 100%. And again, if we play to our strengths or we don't do it sometimes, right? <laughs> so yeah. I think that's where finance falls into this this process is right it's it's uncomfortable or maybe we don't like it and you know i when you said hey cash in and cash out isn't enough i'm like oh, it's all right <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's a good it's a good it's a good starting point don't get me wrong there. especially if think... it's a, a positive delta <laughs> yeah yeah and, and you know it, it depends there's a wide variety of of owners and founders out there and i'd say our, our sort of two best clients are our two types one is that like warden mba who's really good at finance and numbers but uh, but they understand the importance of it and they know it it shouldn't be their core competency so right. let us come in there and sort of run that for them and, and you know give them a platform for it uh, and then the other is you know maybe the more creative type uh, someone who really knows the product and market or things to that nature and they understand this is outside of their warehouse so bring in some some experts to to really drive that and run that side of the business so that they can focus on their 
they can focus on what their what their good qualities are and not try to like you know the old uh, uh, square peg in a round hole in terms of um, uh, you know trying to figure out numbers when when their words are creative or, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, because that's definitely an area that you don't want to be creative in is the finance and accounting. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Aspect. Other like areas that. you can get a little bit, but this is one you should should absolutely yeah. pay attention to. And yeah. and again, we talked a little bit offline. A lot of the founders and owners I work with, you know, this isn't necessarily a priority, and it's always after the fact coming in or they're getting too big or they're looking for a deal or they're looking to grow through acquisition. And I think just just getting that, is it something that you guys would do where you would help a company just set up an infrastructure and then do a, you know kind of a part-time and grow with them? Or are you looking at, hey, once you get to seven figures, we will get more involved at that point? Just more curious of where yeah. and how you guys get yeah, involved. No, it's a great question. Yeah, it's a variety of things. I say, you know, it depends on the type of business too. Like, let's say, you know, a technology business with like kind of lighter assets, like they just have less accounting, you know, so maybe there's less of a need before that kind of seven figure time frame there. But uh, let's say an inventory based business like an e-commerce where, where we've got a lot of uh, work there, you know, managing inventory and cogs is, is and, and all of the payments that come around it and your third party logistics provider, all of those things, you know, are a bit more a volume of work. And so getting involved a, a little bit uh, earlier there um, helps uh, or, or is important. And then, uh, you know, we deal with a variety of businesses, you know, particularly ones that are in the venture space. And so I kind of uh, mentioned before, uh, let's say you're preparing for a deal or you've just raised money and now you have kind of more sophisticated investors and a board. So being able to come in and, you know, for us, some of us have sat on boards, right? And so we kind of know it from both sides to be able to provide the infrastructure there and be able to, to build it out uh, so that, you know, when it comes time and you've got to move quickly, you've already had those pieces in place, which we, we get good feedback on. No, which makes sense. And just circling back to the uh, who, not how, right? As we start to bring in different expert specialists, how does that change? Because I, I've actually had some founders on here that are building or running multiple eight-figure companies with five people, mm-hmm. but been bringing in so, some outsource. If we think about future companies being more like a, a movie production is the analogy I've used, right? You got hair and makeup, stunts, everybody that comes together to build this thing. You know, from a financial standpoint, nobody is really necessarily an employee. Does that make it more complicated or does it make it easier to, to manage? I, mean, I know I'm putting you on the spot, but I'm just no, curious because I'm seeing more and more of this. And so how do we think about structuring something like that? Yeah, I, I guess I'm going to sidestep the question a little bit because I think it depends on your your yeah. type of business and what you're doing. I think in the creative spaces, that's going to be the the mold. You know, us accountants tend to be a little bit more conservative and finance people. And so to be talking about like on a freelance or part-time positions is a little bit of a harder sell. And also, you know, I think we want to be able to commit to the a consistent team for our clients. It also kind of makes me think the question a little bit of, you know, our frame of mind, right, is, is sort of this post-war economy where someone got a job and they worked for a company for 30 years and they did 10 different roles in that and sort of the company and the and the person can kind of mold to each other. And I think we're finding in the last like 20 years or so, we're actually moving to kind of a little bit more of a, a pre-war uh, economy model where, hey, you developed a skill, you're a carpenter or whomever, and sort of when your skill was in need, people came to you. And I think we're seeing a lot more of that of specialization of skills, identifying, you know, your own personal brand as well for some of those uh, uh, solopreneurs and freelancers out there. And I think, you know, you're hitting it right on the head. There's more and more of that because I think there's actual inherent value in being able to focus on your good skills. But you probably remember your economics class, right? You know, first week of, of economics, you're hearing about the Portuguese making wine and the English making sweaters out of wool and how, you know, you focus on what you're good at and you create, you create efficiencies and economy. And so 
you know, this is that, this is that same thing. Yeah, no, I, th I think it makes sense. And I'm starting to see, cause I'm doing kind of eating my own dog food, drink my own wine, whatever you want to say. So <laughs> I started to bring in some of these experts and one of them is, you know, in the, the, the uh, training and development side to help me with a, a couple of things. And she's always viewed herself just as that contractor, right? Hey, I do a few mm -hmm. engagements at contract, but she's now starting to think of herself as a business versus just a contractor. And as we get, I mean, like Fiverr and some of these design studios, right, where it's a one for one time, hey, here's a fee, do the design, blah, blah, blah. We're going to see people that do like salesforce.com or these very specialized skills are going to start to become independent that we, we've got to bring together. And so as we're talking, I'm thinking about that. And maybe this could be help us help me <laughs> help the audience think about how to de-risk some of this, right, as you start to take payments with Venmo. And there's just a whole different world of payments and what used to be the employee was easy, right? It's here's your W-2, mm -hmm. the taxes go through, you do this. But now not only do you have contractors, which you could fill out a form, but now you've got people that use Venmo. And I'm sure that makes you cringe when you hear <laughs> some of those processes. Now, granted, it's probably a smaller payment, yeah. but I see Venmo for, you know, $1,000 or, you know, $500 a month, especially reoccurring. You know, is there some best practices or ways to start to think about that? I know it's so broad, but I'm it, it's something yeah. I've been thinking about. Yeah, no, I think that that's those are really good questions. I think um, the broader theme here is is uh, let's say a more fragmented workforce that creates efficiencies because you're you're sticking at what you're good at. There's also a lot of the the states in particular are not too happy about this. You're hearing news out of let's say California and New York where there's more stringent laws, and so even if someone says they're a freelancer or something like that, uh, it's it's on you as the business owner to make sure they are. And and, and so um, I'm. I'm sort of answering your question in a different way here, yeah. the sort of liability that comes up with it. And I hate to kind of be the guy who's like, you know, we want to talk about fun business things and this is a little less fun thing. But ultimately, you know, you want to make sure if you're hiring that person that they don't look like a they don't look like an employee from that perspective. And if they are looking like an employee, they need to be paid like one. And that's the expectation of the states and the labor laws. So, you know, if you've got someone who uh, only works for you and they've got no other clients and you're paying them as an individual, like that, that looks like an employee in the eyes of the states and that person should be an employee uh, who works for you as opposed to someone who has their own company has multiple clients and providing a specific specific skill that's outside the company's core competency like that looks like a freelancer or kind of a specialized service in that sense so that's maybe a, a little warning for for the business owners who don't take care of that as much um, you know definitely look out because once a once a state maybe become wise to that you know there could become you know hefty work and, and penalties and fines that go along with it no, I think it makes sense, right? Because you don't want to get bit by that down the road and you know, a little not. bit of a prevention. And yeah, because I mean, it's interesting. The old, the way I used to think about it, or maybe I was taught this way was, right, if you work less than 32 hours and you weren't necessarily, you weren't full-time, that's a full-time part-time. But now if a business owner, I need to think about, right, if they're only working 20 hours for me, do I have to verify that they're working for, how do I verify that they're not just a an employee disguised as, mm -hmm. a, as a contractor? Right. I know it yeah. could be make state sure by got, state. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just make sure you know, make sure you have those contracts in place, right? And if you don't have a contracts and then all of a sudden someone, you know, the what you thought the project was ends and that person files for unemployment in the state says, I never knew you were employed here. Now you, you know, you've got the state auditors who are looking at you and things like that, where you know, just a crossing a couple more T's could have got you in a place where you know everything was buttoned up nicely. Yeah. I mean, I see a whole different side of your business that could help because even with what I'm doing, there's a lot of international to it, right? Because it's mm -hmm. everything's virtual. 
the work's done. So there's a global aspect of it, which you never would have thought, you know, 10 years ago, you know, a small multinational company, right? But you're going across borders. So, so I think the, uh, the lesson, if I'm, I'm hearing correctly, is, is take the time, understand it, reach out to somebody like you if you have questions about this and make sure you set up, right? Because again, it's, it's one thing when you're, you're small and growing, but you start to cross that half million heading towards seven figures. Now would be a really good time to, to, you know, put these checks and balances in place with you yeah. know, the new world order, right? Yeah. And it's, it's like, hey, uh, not the not the most interesting or, or or sort of exciting part of our job, but it's important. And, and when you're getting into that range that you're talking about, now you have a little bit of money, you're a little bit more appetizing from a, a lawsuit perspective. And you definitely want to keep that, obviously, the, the financial aspects of it, but just the distractions of having to deal with something like that. So not that we you know, want to be talking about that or highlighting that on a, on a, on a podcast here, but it's the sort of stuff that can come up and, and just a little bit more uh, discipline on the side is as you grow that, that we're kind of applying with the clients in terms of compliance it can go a long way that to, to avoiding headaches and allowing you to focus on building a business. Yeah. And I know it's not always you know sexy and it can be boring, but you know what? I've, I've yeah. kind of, a, I embrace the boring and you know <laughs> I, the, the other thing that I've kind of, you know, discovered over the last couple of years doing this, because I was heading kind of down the venture path, right? I like those companies. How do you start? But after getting deeper into it, I I've grown in my appreciation for the bootstrap and cash flow, right? Those are the two things that venture is great, but it's almost purely speculative and right. It's a numbers game and, you know, I'll still make a few bets on the venture side, but I'd much rather be on, you know, boring B2B growth service businesses that, you know, have, have good cash flow. They just might need some, some help growing. So I'm a, you know, big fan of, I'm not risk averse. What's the word I'm looking for? Rick, make sure you take unnecessary risks out of the business, right? This isn't like we're being overly cautious, having, you know, talk to Joe because he can help you set your business up and make sure you're thinking about it. I just think that this is really underappreciated. And as you start to grow and, and do things differently, ask, right? It doesn't hurt yeah. to ask. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I'm with you there on, on sort of the, the focus on, on cash flow based businesses that are that are sort of, um, you know, building. My motto at the company here is brick by brick, right? Like those small incremental improvements uh, and, and positive impacts really, you know, you build a house over time. And so I think also with that, it forces you to be more thoughtful about every decision and every dollar. And also, um, you know, forces you to, to make things work on yourself. And I, any investing that maybe I'm doing or, or just like when I talk to other investors, right, when it comes time to that, one thing I always look for is like, did the founder or owners do, do a lot of the selling in the beginning, right? And sort of A, to develop that skill set super important, but B, to really understand the market and product. And so, you know, I think a lot of times to, to get a lot of money or to get investment, great, that's great for that business. But at the same time, like the sort of lessons that are learned aren't learned as sort of effectively. Right. And they become a lot more costly, right? Like, cause you, you, you're, you have this pressure to move quickly. What does that turn into? It turns into inefficiency, you know, mostly in terms of dollars and time. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm hundred percent with you. And it's interesting because a lot of the founders, you know, I, I don't know if we shared online or offline, but you know, one of the stats that definitely the listeners have heard, you know, 99 out of hundred companies don't make it to 10 million, one out of 10 make it to a million. So there's a pretty good Delta in between. And, and unfortunately the folks that have figured out the founders that did the early selling, they found the market. It, they have, they weren't able to get beyond that, right? Because you can't, if it's just you, you can't scale, right? There's just no way. And so how do you bring in those extra resources? So yeah, I, I agree. If you don't understand your customers in the market and you're not passionate about what you're building, it's, 
I used to be a big believer in execution trumps everything, right? If you've got a good model and you can execute, but the, the, the today's buyers are just much more discerning, I guess. They want to believe in the company they're buying from. They want a good experience. And so you got to have the, the full package now versus maybe even 10, five, 10 years ago with, with what you could get away with. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think also, particularly with a services-based business where, you know, you have to under, you, know, you have to get along, right? Like if we're acting as your CFO, this has got to be someone you really trust and align with. And so being able to portray yourself in a true fashion and sort of what you're able to bring to the table, not just from a, a skill set perspective, but from a personality perspective, that is super important. And, and there are clients that we turn down because we know they're not sort of a, a personality fit. And so, hey, we can do the work for you, but we know it's not going to really be a great partnership because we just have different views on the world. And so, you know, to your point, it, it, it's, it is difficult. And, you know, you really have to focus on those qualities as well as, as just, you know, providing the work itself. Yeah, no. And I think that's the beauty of I've kind of adopted. It took me a long time, but kind of the no asshole policy. You said different yeah. view world point, but you know, at the end of the day, it's your life's short, your business is tough and you got to like the the clients and the people you work with. So I'm, I'm a hundred percent on board. Like I said, it took me a while to get there, but now I'm a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think, you know, along with that, you know, retention, you say you use the term like, are you happy or keeping people happy in the role? And I think, I don't know, maybe I'm not a particularly happy person. So I don't think about it as happiness. I think about it more as fulfillment, right? Are we able to provide a fulfilling environment uh, and, and a fulfilling roles for our, our folks? And I think a part of that too, is like who they're working with and for. And so, you know, I think the, 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 the zero asshole policy is very important uh, to, to use your phrase there and one in which like we're living by. And if, if we've got a particularly difficult client, why would I force my people to kind of work with with that person? We want to we want to create a fulfilling environment for them, and that comes in many forms. Uh, and and one of the most notable is is the people they're working for in terms of their clients. Yeah, no, hundred percent agree. And that this has been super informative. And like I said, it's been a, it's been too long for me to have somebody come on and actually teach us and talk to us about the <laughs> the basics of financials. So. What else? Have we not covered anything that you think that business owners should be thinking about or have we touched most of the basics? You know, I think one thing um, uh, you had mentioned earlier, but then we kind of went on to a different point I think is interesting is like, you know, I think really you're you're going to have a lot of ideas and we see this with our clients and even our, our business. I think if you can kind of maintain or have that kind of guiding light, if you will, of like for us, it's owning the number side of the business. And so for a lot of it, it comes with us just doing the finance and accounting directly for clients. But there's also opportunities that come along with that. And in many ways, they should be complementary. And so I think if, if a company is deviating too far from that sort of guiding light too early, you know, it can be difficult. So for us, like a complementary service is like, okay, if we do a good job for our clients, they grow out of us, right? And so we've actually uh, added a recruiting arm. So you know, we're filling roles for controllers uh, or staff accountants or CFOs, you know, whether they be clients that are growing out of us and need a full-time support or, you know, just other other folks who are out there and, and companies who need the help. And so, you know, that's been a, a, a great positive impact for us in terms of that. And it's still kind of around that core competency. Our clients are going to talk to us first about that when they have those needs. And so naturally with us knowing the market and knowing, um, knowing the role who kind of better fit to, to do that. And I think that's one thing where, where companies, as they get to kind of seven figures, they sort of have the cash flow and the flexibility to sort of do other projects. And, uh, I think just, just centering yourself is like, is that the core kind of competency of the business? 
uh, or, or around that guiding light is important to, to keep sight of. Yeah, and it makes sense. And I love that aspect. I love adding the, the service side of it too. I mean, you guys are services, but it makes sense. You right? You know what that business needs. You've got the network with folks that can mm-hmm. fill that gap. Why would you send them out to somebody else to go hunt and find a, you know, a CFO when they're ready for it? So no, I think, I think it makes, it makes a ton of sense. So yeah. Hey, we're able to monetize losing a client too in cases. So exactly. you know, not, the worst, not the worst business model there either. No, and the way like I talked to, I've said I'm heavily 100% focused on the zero to 10, right? We get to 10, you're not that I'm wishing, I am wishing you well, but then there's, you know, different set of challenges and different yeah. sets of folks that can, can help you. Yeah. But that's a good problem, right? If you get there, then it, it opens up some some things for you. So for sure, um, Joe, super, super interesting and long overdue to have this conversation on this podcast. Yeah. So if folks want to learn more about you or calculate, what's the, the best way for them to, to get in touch with you? So yeah, calculate.org or information's on there, reach out to us. We'd love to talk about anything. I, I think the good thing, bad thing is I just love to talk shop about businesses. So if you've got an interesting problem and just want someone to talk to about it, uh, I'll, I'll definitely be your victim there. And we know where to find you now. Yeah. <laughs> Joe, I'm gonna have to have you back on maybe in six months as we talk about and get deeper into this new economy that we're working on. And maybe there's some other strategies we can go a little bit deeper in once we, we get there. But definitely want to have you back on because I think we we scratched the surface on a lot of this, but I think there's some areas we can we can definitely go deeper. Definitely would love it. You know, I, I mentioned before, been been listening to the podcast, super excited to be on and, and looking forward to, uh, to talking more in the future. Awesome. Appreciate it. Have a great rest of your day and we'll catch up with you soon, Joe. Thanks so much, Brett. Right, take care.